Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. Gleam 0.12 was released, and what's exciting about this one is it includes a 0.1 of Gleam's typed OTP, which is a new initiative that they've been working on for some time. And we have an interview with Lewis Pilford coming out in a couple of weeks where we take a deeper look at Gleam and what Gleam's typed OTP means. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. All right. If you're interested in building operating systems and you love the Beam, you might be interested in this new project. This new project is called the Cry10 Secure Platform, KSP. It's a new operating system on a microkernel called SEL4. It's built on Erlang and Elixir technologies, which is what makes it pretty interesting to me. If you don't know Cry10, Cry10 is the company I've associated with Boyd Moulter. I'm not sure if he founded it or not. I think he did. And Cry10 is uh, the company behind Scenic as well. Scenic UI, that is. So the whole arm of Elixir GUI programming is very influenced by Scenic UI. So you might be interested in that. So not just GUI programming, but now possibly, it sounds like, operating system development. So it's pretty interesting news. So if you're interested in that, uh, we've got some links in the show notes. As a Hacktober project, Todd Resedek added a feature to HexPM. Next time you go to browse a package, you might notice that there's now a graph which he implemented showing the download counts over time. So give it a look. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I saw uh, I saw some graphs one day on, on Hex. I was like, oh, where did this come from? And then literally like five minutes later, I went on Twitter and saw that Todd had mentioned that he did that for Sacktoberfest. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Uh, also new, uh, there's a new case study listed on the elixirlang.org website. Uh, this one is a case study on change.org. So today I learned that change.org is using Elixir, uh, which is pretty cool. Uh, they, they use it in some pretty interesting ways. So uh, check out the case study. I'll just reiterate that it's been pretty wonderful to see these case studies pop up um, with these notable companies that a lot of folks have used, like Heroku, Discord, now change.org. Um, so it's, it's wonderful. Uh, go, go give it a read on uh, Elixir Lang's website. Just to follow on with that, one of the things that's really interesting, I've talked with them before, they are using Broadway to process huge amounts of events where they need to send out lots of messages as like a petition has, uh, like it closes or something new happens with that. And so they're using Broadway to process like huge volumes of messages, which is really cool. So check that out. And it's a great resource to use when advocating for Elixir. Yeah, they have some graphs on there. I like this one where it says like RAM usage doesn't even budge. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and next up is Erlang.org has a new blog post by John Hugberg. And we talked with John in episode number 17 about the JIT compiler and the future release of OTP24 that we're all looking forward to. And in this blog post, he goes deeper in on the Erlang interpreter. So if you're interested in compilers and runtimes, that might be something you want to take a look at. There are links in the show notes. Recently, Elixir 1.11.2 was released. Um, if you're using NERVS 1.7, this fixes some issues. But other than that, just very minor bug fixes. And that's it for the news. Today, we are pleased to be joined by Patrick Thompson. He's coming to help us discuss and, and learn more about using Alpine JS and Tailwind CSS with LiveView. He did an awesome write-up about this, and we're really excited to have him come on and talk about it. So, Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Patrick, before we jump into all the awesome stuff you were writing about, why don't you first tell us a little bit more about yourself, about you know 
who you are, where you live, what kind of work you're doing. Yeah, I'm Patrick Thompson. I live in Portland, Oregon. Originally from California, but I've been in Oregon for 25 years. I own and operate an indie app company. Uh, I've been doing mobile apps, primarily iPhone apps, for the past 11 years. And I'm currently transitioning to web apps using Elixir and Phoenix and LiveView. So I am curious to hear, like, you know, doing native development, you know, you're not doing Elixir for that. So how did you get started with Elixir? A couple of years ago, I was um, considering uh, the transition to web apps, and I hadn't written a, a web app in over 15 years. So when I was looking for a web stack, Elixir and Phoenix caught my primarily because of its Erlang roots. In 2007, I had read Joe Armstrong's um, book on Erlang, and I, um, I, I really liked the, uh, the programming model and OTP, and seeing that Elixir was based on Erlang made it very attractive. So Patrick, I was really intrigued by this blog post that you put together, which is a, really a great resource. And I really do encourage people to check it out. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. But one of the things that I've been seeing a lot of discussion around in the Phoenix kind of ecosystem is people's excitement around Tailwind CSS. And I have not used it myself. I, I've done a lot previously with like Bootstrap and, and things like that. And I'm just curious about, you know, well, that was one of the major components that you were writing about is Tailwind CSS. So maybe you could give us a little bit of a brief introduction as to what it is. Tailwind is called a utility-first framework, and it's a set of small utility classes that track low-level CSS um, functions quite closely. You use these in your, um, in your HTML. So you typically don't write your own CSS. You use these low-level utility classes to write your CSS. So you write your CSS alongside your, your HTML. Just right in there with your markup, right? Right, right. It's not the same as putting styles in your markup because you're constrained. With styles, you can write any CSS in there. But with a Tailwind, you use these uh, fixed set of, of classes. I'm a user of Tailwind too. And I remember when I was Getting around to using it, I don't remember how long ago, it had to have been two years-ish ago. I remember being really appalled by it at first, because it's, it's, <laughs> it takes a little getting used to if, uh, you know, if you've not used the utility-first you know, CSS framework. And yeah, I, was, I, I, I did not like it, did not like it at all. But the more I was using it, I, I was on this uh, application, and it was a front-end developer that introduced Tailwind to the stack, so it wasn't something that I, I had a lot of choice in. Thankfully, he stuck with it, and we stuck with it, and it's turned into my favorite you know, CSS um, framework. It just took me a little bit to get into it, because it was so different from what I was experiencing you know, at that time. Uh, a lot of SaaS, a lot of what uh, it was called Smacks, I think. So there was like a different way of, of doing that kind of... Uh, uh, of CSS. I will also say that I, you know, my first impression looking at Tailwind was like, just like, oh, it's, it looks like it's just polluting my HTML, like with all this stuff. And, you know, it's like, because it's classes and the classes are descriptive, talking about the meaning that they're trying to apply. That was my first impression. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear David has had a good experience and said it was worth sticking with. <laughs> it, it is. And it, and I I find it interesting. And maybe Patrick, we we can talk about this. Like, I find it interesting that it seems like a lot of live view users out there have have been using Tailwind. Maybe maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but what do you think? Do you think Tailwind is often paired with live view? I think so, and I think part of it is because of it's it's kind of declarative, which we we enjoy in in the Elixir community. Both uh, 
Tailwind and Alpine JS, which we'll talk about later. It's declarative, so you're you can look at the HTML and you can see what's going on. You can see the classes that are being applied. You can see the the JavaScript that's being applied without having to go look at some other file and go back and forth between your your CSS and your HTML and your JavaScript. I guess I could see how this could be attractive because I know sometimes when I'm writing traditional CSS, there's probably a lot of dead code out there. CSS is kind of hard to clean up and sometimes I'm writing a class and I'm like, I swear I already have this, but I don't know where it is because I have so many SAS files. And so I just write it again. And so I probably have like the same like container type component five times. But with this, it's just like right there inside of your class. And there's a lot of people upstairs. So I'm going to stop talking and mute so that <laughs> you don't have to like fine tooth comb edit this out. <laughs> I wonder, and this a thought is occurring right now as we speak, but I wonder if the reason why LiveView folks and Elixir folks maybe generally, you know, like Alpine and uh, and Tailwind is because because it is in the HTML, you know, where you define this stuff. It's not so deep into this other ecosystem that you have to invest yourself into, you know, and become an expert at in order to even get it running. A lot of web app developers know HTML. Like everybody's got to know HTML. So if you put the stuff into the HTML and that's all there is, maybe that's why it's attractive. Right. And it simplifies things. So it's all there. And, you know, when you're developing a web app, there's so many pieces. You know, there's, there's the back end, the database, the front end. So much to keep track of. It's nice to have, to, to simplify part of your stack so you don't, it, it can minimize the cognitive load. As you've been using Tailwind, what are some of the benefits that you've experienced and that you've seen with this approach that you think other people should pay attention to? It's fun. You, you can style something up really quickly. You can change it really quickly. So it's uh, easier to stay in the, in the flow. You can mark something up uh, very quickly and, and get something working very fast. It's a lot of fun, I, I would say, which I, I never thought I'd hear myself saying that you know, CSS and, and JavaScript is fun, but I, I find it so with these two technologies. A couple impressions I had when I was looking at Tailwind was when you go to their website, they have like this little animated demo kind of thing showing it as I add these classes, this thing is changing and responding, which I think is really cool. But I also think like, how am I ever going to learn all those? Like, it seems like you have to know all of these different codes and classes. What resources have you found helpful especially as you're learning this, to be able to feel that you're productive? For learning it, what was really helpful for me was um, watching Adam Wathen's uh, videos where he recreates um, popular websites. He just walks through as he's coding it up. So I watched through a few of those, and then I started doing that myself. I coded up some websites that, um, that I liked, and it was uh, really quick and easy to do. And a resource that I found really helpful there's a cheat sheet from NerdCave, Google NerdCave Tailwind Cheat Sheet, and it's a, it's a searchable cheat sheet. So you can search for either the um, Tailwind CSS class or the CSS um, you know, style that you want. So you can search for either MT5 or margin top, and you'd get to the same place. Oh, that's nifty. Uh, I know. I think Tailwind uh, recently updated their their doc searching too, but I can't say that it does the bi-directional search. So if I know the CSS property, you know, then the appropriate Tailwind one, you know, comes up. You'd have to search for the Tailwind specific thing, but they name it pretty well. So like, I, if I know I'm looking for some pre-property, 
uh, on the pre, you know, element, then it, it'll show up and, and show me. But that's pretty cool. Yeah, the, the names are pretty intuitive. So it sounds like there's like a little bit of a learning curve. But once you kind of figure out what they're doing, you understand what you need to do and how it's going to be what the class name is going to be without even having looked at the docs, you can assume like, oh, since I know the pattern they're following, it's probably MT5 to get what I need. The names track the underlying CSS pretty closely. So if you already know CSS, it, it's pretty quick to come up to speed on Tailwind. Yeah, I second that. So another problem, I guess, a hesitancy I encountered when I first started looking at Tailwind was I came across tailwindui.com. And I saw, oh, these are paid for pre-designed things. And I thought, oh, is this a commercial interest? And so I just want to point out that there are truly open source, all you know, framework kind of thing. And maybe you can kind of help us understand that what is available and the differences there. Tailwind UI, it's paid. They provide a, a set of uh, marketing components and a set of uh, application UI components. They provide the... Um, the CSS and um, pseudocode for JavaScript, if any, is needed. I find it's reasonably priced. It's um, $249 to get both or $149 each. And it's a perpetual license, and you can use it for as many projects as you want. And just to clarify that the components there that we're talking about, like there's two packages. One of them is a marketing-centric package, and the other one is like a, uh, like a, a web application package. It's focused on like uh, UI elements like list boxes, for example, uh, whereas the marketing side is more focused on like call to action buttons, you know, and, and pricing blocks or logo clouds, that kind of stuff. And they're um, really beautifully designed. They're all accessible. So they have all the, uh, the ARIA tags and semantic uh, HTML. I myself have also purchased uh, the Tailwind UI packages, so I'm, I'm a user of that. And I, I'm certain that there's some other <laughs> uh, Elixir applications out there that are also purchasing it. I, I don't know if they've admitted it yet, but Plausible.io, you know, the new analytics uh, app out there, it's gaining a lot of traction. Uh, they most definitely use Tailwind UI. Like, uh, I'm pretty sure I've, I've seen it, like exactly <laughs> the elements that they, they took from a uh, UI, which, you know, that's the right thing to do. It makes it easy, very productive, get your app up and running and looking good, you know, very quickly. I know uh, Jim Freeze uses it too. Yeah. He uses it for, it's uh, so easy. for Elixir Conf. Yeah. I've been a little bit surprised. Like, I, I like the development out there of, of this thing. You know, we, we talked with Caleb Porzio last week with Alpine, and uh, he, he gets a lot of sponsorship from basically about content creation, right? Screencasts and, and stuff like that for, for his ecosystems that he's created, like Alpine.js and, and mostly Livewire. And it's like Tailwind, those, those group, that group of folks have also done similar things. Like, they're doing paid content for that, but like the, the basis of it is all still free. You can still use Tailwind CSS without a problem. And even Tailwind UI is pretty permissive, you know? So I, I like the trend there because like, yeah, they, they did a lot of work. That's a lot of effort to make such a good framework. And, you know, to continue putting in that kind of time, there ought to be some compensation for that. And I haven't been in that realm myself, but I know that's got to be really difficult. So I'm glad that they're getting you know, f financial stability from um, the open source work that they're doing. But one of the things I kind of want to make sure I understand and that the listener may understand as well is that like lots of times I will do, I will investigate a new technology before I even recommend it being brought into the company. And I'm not necessarily down with, you know, hey, let's drop $250 of my own money on this just to try it out. 
Uh, so I'm just curious, like, how far can I get with just using what's freely available? What are the, what is the website I should be going to and looking for that? They do have a set of uh, preview components, which are the actual components. It's just a, a small subset of what you can get from the, the paid package. And that's enough to see what it is and play around with it and decide whether you want to buy it or not. But there's nothing added in, in Tailwind UI, really. I think they do adjust some colors, but like all of it you can recreate from Tailwind CSS with, with no issue. Yeah. And so we're, we're talking about tailwindui.com, but there's also tailwindcss.com. Yeah. And so Tailwind CSS, is that the resource I want to be looking at uh, for just understanding how the different parts work? Because like, just looking at it, it looks like it has a lot of great documentation. Yeah. Tailwind CSS is definitely the basis of it. That's the, that's the CSS framework. Tailwindui.com is taking that framework and making like components or UI parts out of Tailwind CSS. So it's, it's like putting that stuff together in a nice designed way, but it's not anything additional on top of CS, the Tailwind CSS. It's the design part. <laughs> Tailwind UI is the design part of you know, using Tailwind CSS. We should mention um, Headless UI, which is a new initiative from, from Tailwind, which is um, pretty interesting. And they're, they're making it available with Tailwind CSS, uh, but of course, they're going to use it with Tailwind UI. And it's a set of, they call it a headless UI. So it's, it's a set of uh, a JavaScript. It's JavaScript that's used to implement things like um, select components and modals and slide-ins, anything you might want to use JavaScript for along with your CSS. That They provide just bare-bones uh, JavaScript without any styling. And they're starting with React, Vue and Alpine JS. This will become the basis for the JavaScript elements of, of Tailwind UI. They currently have React and, and Vue, and they're working on Alpine JS, and they should have that done by the end of the year. So that'll make it super easy to drop in the Tailwind UI components into your, your apps. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I think that leads uh, leads us well uh, into Alpine JS then, and how this how this stuff works with LiveView. And you have an amazing article that wraps this up. So, can you give like a synopsis of what you talk about with the uh, Alpine JS and LiveView? Yeah. So, um, my interest in Alpine JS came about when I, I was trying to implement a, a modal that transitioned in and out smoothly and nicely which can be a, a challenge with Live View, because typically we, we will conditionally add something to, to the DOM. So if you conditionally add a, a modal to the DOM, it's going to be immediately added. And when you remove it, when the condition goes to false, it's going to be immediately pulled from, from the DOM. So it, it will have um, these jarring transitions into and, and out of view. On the transition into view, it's, it's not a problem because you have plenty of time to do the transition. But when it's, um, when it's ripped from, from the DOM, when it, on the transition out, it's, you don't have any time to do a nice 300 millisecond uh, you know, fade out. This is where AlpineJS helps out. Exactly. So I, I started experimenting with AlpineJS. And um, Andreas uh, Erickson from um, Full Stack Phoenix um, had done some early work around this. He, he had an article where he had used uh, Alpine to do the, the transitions for a modal. And the, the key was to 
to delay before you actually um, re- remove it from, from the DOM. You, know, you can delay either in, in JavaScript or in, in your live view. I, I started to play around with that, and it was pretty convoluted, and, and he, he said as much in, in his article. And so I, I started to play around with the simplifying that, and in doing so, I, I discovered some patterns for using Alpine with, um, with live view. That was the basis for my, my articles. I liked how uh, Hugo DeFrancesco, who's one of the uh, Alpine contributors, said it. He, he, he calls it the, the JavaScript framework that's used like jQuery, written like Vue, and inspired by Tailwind CSS. You can use it for anything you use jQuery for, really. Um, it has a syntax that's similar to Vue and, um, by extension, Angular, and uh, it's inspired by, by Tailwind CSS. So it sounds like with Alpine being inspired by Tailwind, that the two should marry pretty well together. And you talked about like how the headless UI is going to have Alpine components specifically designed for that to make it even easier. What has your experience been pairing these two together? Yeah, they work uh, very well together. And I, I think uh, Caleb probably had Tailwind in, in mind when he was developing uh, Alpine, especially for things like transitions. Um, for each part of the transition, you you can just add the Tailwind classes that you want for each uh, step of the, the transition. And it's very easy to um, add and remove classes to an element. I'm fairly certain that like the first version of like Tailwind UI when it was still in beta, like the only one that it supported, like the pseudo code that was there was actually Alpine. And you had to you had to take that out, you know, and, and put in Vue or React or whatever, but it started with with Alpine. Um, so yeah, they, they had to have been like collaborating there or if not, you know, they just really, you know, admired each other from a distance, but I'm sure that they collaborated. Yeah. And they, they're part of the same community that the Laravel yeah. and PHP community, you know, when it comes to Phoenix, right? So we've got these two things that we see, oh, well, maybe there's a lot of value in Tailwind CSS and Alpine JS and they, they work really well together and they can bring me these different benefits we've been talking about. So when it comes to like sticking it into my Phoenix app, how hard is that? Is that what do I have to think about? Keep in mind, um, you know, Tailwind and um, and Alpine they, they work for both Phoenix and and LiveView. There's nothing special you need to do for a Phoenix app. You just um, implement it within your your HTML. However, um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, um, Tailwind can be very verbose. And if you find yourself writing the same Tailwind classes over and over again, say for for a button. You can always create a, a helper function, or if you're using a live view, you can uh, create a, a live component to wrap that up to create a reusable component that you can use uh, throughout your code. And Tailwind kind of pushes you towards that, towards creating components. We talked about um, front end versus back ends a little while ago. Um, you'll find a link in the show notes. And one of the things there that we talked about that I find being a good reason to use something like Alpine JS or really any JavaScript framework, but Alpine, I think I, I favor here because of its simplicity and its declarative nature and how it plugs into to the HTML is that live view, you can get so far with just live view and, and nothing else. But when you get to these certain UI elements like modals or dropdowns, if you have those kinds of things, if you only use live view, then when the user clicks that, thing that widget that has to go make a it has to go make a a back end trip and then back to the front end for that 
that element to change or disappear or whatever. And if it's a purely, you know, front end thing, like we, we just want to control a transition out, for example, then having all that, having that logic be in the JavaScript makes it, you know, that much more responsive. So as soon as they click it, you know, that, that element can do the thing and transition out. And it's one of the things that I found interesting in your article is, is that you show how to shadow that in live view and in tailwind. So even if like, like a delete button, for example, if I have a row and a table and I need to delete that thing, I can click delete there and it can actually emit two things at the same time, two actions, right? It can, it can have a Phoenix click action that sends the event to the backend. And it can also have a shadowed Alpine JS action that will transition that row out and and delete it. That's an optimistic UI pattern. So it's it's like you have to like make sure somehow that that's actually being deleted in the back end. There's no way that could fail. But that's a way that you can get the best of both worlds if you still have to do a back end action and transition to have a, have a nice fluid transition in the front end that is immediately you know interactive and like responsive to the click and not waiting on the back end that's a good example of how how these two things can work together and they don't clobber each other like that was the magical part is like you didn't have to you didn't have to do all this tight integration you know like these could still kind of work separately and work really well together at the same time which was i thought the 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 clincher for me the beauty of alpine is usually with a javascript and live view it's a it's a matter of never the twain shall meet you know yeah <laughs> your live view code and your your javascript code they have to stay in their own lanes and if you have some javascript code that needs to modify the dom you have to fence off that that code with right. phx update equals ignore but with with live with Alpine in most cases they, they can work um, side by side, and this is because of the nature of the integration. They, they both use um, Morphdom to modify the DOM. There's no virtual DOM, and the integration happens at the um, at the Morphdom level. And Caleb and, and Chris McCord uh, collaborated on the on the integration, so um, you can have your JavaScript code um, in line with your your uh, live view code, and the the integration is um, very uh, very seamless. It's it's almost like they're they're made to uh, work with each other. You know, ironically, you know, um, live view the uh, the framework that was supposed to allow us to um, not write uh, JavaScript code actually has <laughs> super. Super JavaScript integration with um, both the hook mechanism and uh, and Alpine JS. I don't think it's the right move to say that we should never, you know, that that JavaScript is evil. You know, don't ever write it and that kind of stuff. And I in Live View replaces JavaScript. That's the that's the wrong attitude. It's the wrong perspective. I think, and that JavaScript still has a good place, especially for UI elements um, and uh, UI elements being something like um, dropdowns and modals, that kind of stuff. So the fact that I can be a good citizen of like end users on the on the UI side with JavaScript and enabled by by Alpine JS and still get to use the powerful framework like uh, on the back end like LiveView, like that's the perfect combination to me. I love that combination, and I even like the name for it uh, the the pedal stack, right? Um, it, it, so to spell that out, we got Phoenix Elixir T Tailwind Alpine. And live view pedal, so I'm just I just I love that. You know, it's it's even pretty as a as a uh, <laughs> as an acronym. <laughs> I've not heard that 
before, so that's fun. Pedal stack. So as you're working with Tailwind and Alpine, you'd mentioned this idea of like how these integrate together. Where where are these integration points and what's that like? You have your hook code and you have your, your Alpine code. And a lot of times in when you want to integrate these, you, you want to either communicate between the, the Alpine code and the hook code or between your Alpine code and your, your live view. It's very simple to, um, to make those jumps. So um, from Alpine to your, your hook code, you can send a JavaScript event, a custom JavaScript event, or you can call um, hook functions directly. Hooks are just JavaScript objects that you can register on Windows, so you can call those functions directly. So it's very easy to call from Alpine code into hook code. To go from your hook to Alpine, you can send a, a custom JavaScript event that's handled in your Alpine code. To go from Alpine up to the server live view, you can call a hook function from Alpine, and then from your, your hook function, push the event to the live view server. Or you could call a push event function directly on a window registered hook since a push event is always available on, on hooks. And then to go from your server live view to Alpine, you can push an event from your live view down to your hook and then send a custom JavaScript event from your hook to Alpine. Or, and this is what surprised me the most when I was playing around with, um, with this, is you can actually shadow a live view assign in an Alpine data property. So what that means is every time that live view assign changes, your Alpine data property changes, and you can react to that in your, your Alpine code. That's interesting. All right. Well, Patrick, thank you for coming on and talking with us. I really appreciate the amount of time and effort you put into this blog post, really because it's, it's more than just like, hey, here's something cool I'm doing. It's like, hey, here's a whole collection of resources so that you can see what I'm doing and you can do it too. I see a lot of value in that. And I really appreciate when, when people share like that, just trying to help out the rest of the community. I want people to make sure they can check out your blog post. And is there anything else you'd want to point them to? Well, I, I did do a, uh, an ElixirConf talk, so um, people can, can check that out where I, I talk about some of these ideas. And I, have, um, I actually have a couple posts on, on this. One is talking about um, uh, how you can communicate between um, Alpine JS and, and LiveView. And the other one um, talks about a specific example of creating a, a modal using Alpine JS and, uh, Alpine JS and Tailwind and uh, LiveView. Well, if people want to get in touch with you or follow you online, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I'm um, at P. Thompson on Twitter and on the Elixir Slack. Those are probably the two best places to, uh, to reach me. Oh, and, and my, uh, my blog is blog.pthompson.org. Awesome. And we have links to all those in the show notes, so please check those out. So Patrick, thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.